You ever feel like that with God? Like you just keep calling and you get his machine and, and, and you get angrier and angrier and angrier. And you're like, why aren't you listening to me? What, 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 what's going on? And then all of a sudden he shows up in some way that you had no idea he was going to and tells you that he had the whole thing under control. We're doing this series called Honest to God, and we're just trying to talk through some of our emotions as we get ready for Easter. We want to prepare our hearts for Easter, uh, get ready for that. That's in two weeks, by the way. I just got to say, when I signed up for this uh, pastor thing, I didn't sign up for this. I I, I didn't know that this is what God was going to do. I never signed up for nine Easter services. I've never preached nine times in four days before, but I'm, I'm sure it's going to work out because God's going to get us through. The reason that this has happened, the reason that, I, that we're going to do this is because we want to make room for as many people as possible. I had somebody come up to me just after the last service and say, hey, thank you for making room for me. My family and I have been here for a few months. And I just, and he, just the way he said it was like, yeah, I remember that. We've made room for you, and, and now he gets that. So we're doing nine services so we can make room for the 13,000, 14,000 people that are going to want to come through here and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We've got a great service plan. I want to encourage you to come. Now, here's what we've done. Um, we put out a survey to our people just to try to see which the most attended services were going to be, and it certainly isn't perfect. But guess what the most attended service is going to be right now so far? Thursday night at 7 o'clock. No, not, not, not like this one. No, Thursday night is 7 o'clock. Monday Easter so far is the busiest service, okay? And Fridays are pretty full. The least attended services so far look like they're going to be the third service on Saturday and the third service on Sunday. So if you're looking to have a lot of room, you want to bring a bunch of friends, I'll help you with that. We'll publish this on our website, on my blog, whatever. We're going to help you to try to figure out the right thing. Second thing I want you to know about Easter is we're going to need some help. Uh, we're going to need p- help with the parking lot and the kids' connection and all those things. There's a, there's a volunteer central back there where you can go and sign up. Just do something one time for Easter and help us out because we're going to be ready for what God's going to do. What we're doing right now is trying to get our hearts ready. It's really important to do right before you come into it. What we've been doing this whole winter, really, has been trying to help you figure out ha- how to do this Christianity thing. Because the problem is, the longer you've been around religion, the harder it is to really understand Christianity. The older you get, the harder it is to understand technology. Am I right? Right, old people? Is your, is your VCR still blinking 12? And you don't even realize that we're watching DVDs now, right? Okay. Well, okay, so just for my illustration's sake, I found this great German commercial. I know you don't understand German, but here's what, here's what the, you're not going to need to. Here's the dialogue. Dad, how are you getting along with that new iPad? This is in honor of the new iPad coming out this week, which I didn't get. Thank you very much. Dad, how are you getting along with your new iPad? He says, fine. She says, how do you like the apps? He says, apps? What apps? <laughs> honestly, honestly, that's how a lot of you are treating your relationship with God, Okay. You're not figuring out that there's all these apps, there's all this stuff that God wants to do in your life. You're using it for a cutting board. You're going through the motions, okay? So honest to God for us is about honest. God part you got figured out. This is about the honesty. And we've been hammering this out for the last several months around here. That religion is what people think God wants from them, but Jesus was here for what God wants for us, okay? It's the difference between religion and following Jesus. It's not what God wants from you, it's what God wants for you. And the problem with religion is that if you feel you have to act a certain way to be around God, 
then you're not going to be honest with him. And that's a terrible way to go. You're going to be using an iPad for a cutting board. Without honesty, there is no way to have a good relationship. Isn't that true? Spouses, don't you hate it when your spouse is angry and you say, what's wrong, honey? And they say, nothing, I'm fine. Does that help your relationship? We need to be honest. Wife's diary. Tonight, I thought my husband was acting weird. We made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset that I was late, but he made no comment. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested we go somewhere quiet so we could talk. He agreed, but didn't say much. I asked him if anything was wrong. He said no. I asked him if it was my fault he was upset. He said he's not upset. On the way home, I kept telling him that I loved him, but he never told me he loved me back. When we got home, I felt as if I'd lost him completely. He wanted nothing to do with me. We just watched TV and went to bed. I fell asleep. I cried. I don't know what else to do. I'm sure his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. Husband's diary entry for the same day. A four putt? Who the heck four putts? You can't have a relationship without honesty, okay? I need to know what your problem is. You need to know what each other's problem is. And God, although he already knows it, needs for you to desperately wants for you to be honest with your feelings towards him so that he can help you. So honest to God is about you figuring out how to be honest with God. But so many of us grew up thinking that we had to stuff these nasty feelings, these negative feelings down somewhere because we were worried about what somebody else was going to think. Like somehow God didn't know that we were mad at somebody else or that we were mad at him. And we're playing this little game and so we're going to fake him out, right? We decided around here, if you're new to Parkview, we've decided not to play the game anymore. That's what we decided. We're not going to play the religion game anymore. We're just going to be honest, okay? If you're mad at God, you just need to tell him. It's really that simple. As a matter of fact, I picked the maddest psalm in the Bible to preach from today. It's Psalm 137. Some of you are like, oh, I wonder what that is. Go ahead and look it up if you want. Look on your iPhones or your iPads or if you still have a Bible, look it up, okay? Psalm 137. Here's what we're going to do, okay? And, And here's the deal. Jesus said this a couple of weeks ago. He said, God causes the sun to to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. What he means is sometimes people that don't have God are going to be happy. And sometimes people that do have God are going to be unhappy. We're all going to be happy sometimes. And we're going to be mad sometimes. Now, I read the Psalms almost every day. The Psalms are a book of poetry, a book of hymns, basically psalms and songs that the Israelites, the children of God, would use in worship. And they are full of real, honest emotion. That's what's so beautiful about them. That's why I know the Bible is true, because it's not just a bunch of flowery words. I mean, sure, you're like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, how about Psalm 13? Listen to this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. There's an honest hymn. About Psalm 22, you might recognize this is what Jesus quoted from from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer by night, and I'm not silent. Where are you, God? Sometimes you're just mad. 
Sometimes it's, it, it, it's okay, it's always okay just to be honest with God and say, hey, you know what, I'm just, I'm just mad. Maybe you're frustrated with somebody else. Maybe you're frustrated with God. Maybe you're frustrated with your shoes. It's okay to be honest. We're kids. We're God's children. Am I right? We're God's children, and, and, and we're four. I don't know if you knew this, but it, it, when, we're, when we're dealing with God, we're basically four years old. We're not as mature as we think we are, so we just need to be honest. Here's a video of my wonderful, soon-to-be-married daughter, Lauren, um, when she's four years old, and her wise older sister, Rachel, um, and, and I'll just say Lauren had low blood sugar this day. That's all I'm going to say. With our with her shoes. Ow. <laughs> Leon, you're very spiritual. Will you lay hands on Lauren's fiance and pray for him right now? Let's just all pray for Tommy. Dear Lord, please help that man. I wish they had HD. Did you see the glare? Did you see the glare? Okay. What I'm going to read for you today is the glare prayer, okay? Psalm 137 is the glare prayer. This is how I feel about you right now, God. This is it. I'm really mad. I'm really angry. This psalm is going to show us some of the ways that we deal with our anger. It's in the Bible for a reason, okay? This isn't everything because this is pre-Jesus, but it shows us how to deal with our anger. And let me give a shout-out to Tim Keller where I got a lot of this material today from Redeemer Press in New York City, okay? Have you ever been um, reading along in the Psalms and you get up to 137? Have you opened up to there yet? By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion, the place where we used to live, Jerusalem. There on the poplar trees we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing to us the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Lord, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. And daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one, and I'll use the PG version, who kills your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's the end of the song. If you were raised in a church that had hymnals with, with uh, responsive readings in the back, do you remember doing Psalm 137? Because I think Psalm 137 was in there, but they left out those last three verses. I don't remember ever chanting back to the pastor, happy are those who kill your children. Do you ever remember that? No, I don't. Usually when, when I get to this stuff in the Bible, I'm just like, oh, I'm going back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want to, I don't want to think about the fact that in the Bible is a recorded prayer of a person who is praying for his enemy's children to be killed. Your question should be, legitimately, why is that in the Bible? And I'll tell you why it's in the Bible. Because the Bible is honest. Because the glare prayer is there because sometimes we feel the glare. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, 
There's a pseudo-prayer that promises its parishioners entrances into the subliminal harmonies of the way things are and puts them in tune with the general hum of the universe. This is what most people want out of prayer. This so-called prayer reduces tension, it lowers stress, and the people that get good at it are calm and their voices are soothing and their actions very poised. But praying through the Psalms also enters into the way things are and finds that sometimes things are really bad. The historical context is obviously important when you start looking into the Bible. You have to have the context. Big bad Babylon was the big country, and they came in and they took over the little country, Israel. And there was no Geneva Convention back then. There was no United Nations. So when you were the big country and you went into another country to invade it, you didn't want any of their people around anymore. So you killed everybody that wasn't going to be able to be a slave for you that wasn't any good to you. That was common practice, including their children. You would kill them. Okay. So if you wanted to title this psalm in your Bible, you would title it the Payback Psalm. The Rambo Psalm, right? This is the, Lord, I, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know why you allowed this to happen, but I want you to do to them what they did to me. This would be um, a Holocaust survivor's prayer in, in more current times. This would be the diary of Anne Frank. This is, this is a writer who is probably mourning the murder of his own children, and he wanted revenge. This was a time of horrible violence and genocide. And what he's saying, what he is praying, please pay attention to this. What he is praying is, Lord, please do to their children what they did to mine. I'm that mad. The payback psalm. He prays against two nations. I don't know if you notice it. The Edomites and the Babylonians. There's two different nations there. The Babylonians invaded. The Edomites were their neighbors that they didn't like and didn't get, away, didn't get along with very well. And when Babylon came and invaded Israel, the Edomites literally were coming alongside. Did you see what it said? And they were cheering. Yeah, tear it down, tear it down. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. You ugly. Uh, uh, you ugly. So he's praying against those people as well as... The Babylonians who came in and wiped everybody out and killed their children. This is the prayer, okay? This is what's going on. So this is the prayer of a very angry person against two different nations that he hates. And he wants vengeance on them. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion, our city, Jerusalem. On, on the poplars, on the trees, we hung our harps. What's he saying? This is a musician who has written this psalm. Again, remember this. They sang this psalm over and over and over again. This was in their hymn book. And the guy that wrote this is a musician. And what he's saying is they came to us, the captors, they came to us and they said, sing us your songs about your homeland. And we said, we aren't going to take it. No, we ain't going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. And they hung up their harps on the tree and they probably got the stuffing beat out of them because they were so mad. They said, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. And basically, this is a twisted sister song. So what do we learn from this? OK, here's what we learn from this, because you do learn some things. We're not going to learn everything from this. I'll come back to Jesus at the end. What do we learn from this prayer, this honest, horrible prayer that is recorded for us in the Bible for us to read or sing over and over again? What do we learn? Well, first thing we learn is that he owned his anger. He owned it. Okay? The only way that you're going to be able to get better is if you can own it, if you can be honest about it. You can sit there and say, well, I would never pray for somebody to hurt 
my enemy's children. Of course not. That's cultural. But you have had and maybe do have and will have at some point feelings of a glare, feelings of retaliation, whether it's against the Lord, whether it's against yourself, which is against your friends, your shoes, whatever it is, you're going to have somebody that you're going to be mad at at some point in your life. And you're going to want to pray this prayer. And the truth is, God wants you to do that. He wants you to be honest. What religion would tell you to do is put on your nice clothes and go to your nice church and sit down and put on your fake smile and act like everything is okay. And nothing could be worse for you. Nothing could be worse for your relationship with God. Nothing could be worse for your relationship with other people. And nothing could be worse for Christianity than for us to be a bunch of fakes. And by the way, anger is not a sin. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. God was angry. Jesus was angry. Jesus in Mark 3 was about to heal a guy who had a shriveled up hand. I love this story. And he looks up and he sees the Pharisees who are just waiting because it's the Sabbath day. And they know he's going to break the Sabbath day commandment. And they're going to go run off to the tabloids with the headline, Supposed Son of God heals on the Sabbath. He must be a fake. And he sees them and he gets angry. And your text doesn't do a very good job with it, but what it really says in Mark 3, 5 is, Jesus Christ, dash, filled with fury, dash, healed the man's hand. Now, I've got to ask you, do you want Jesus to heal you mad? What, do you, what, what kind of hand did the guy end up with? You know, X-Man Wolverine hand or something? Whoa, bionic, that's awesome. This, this is amazing. God gets angry in the Old Testament at his people because they're not following him. Jesus gets angry. You're going to get angry. Here, here's why this is such a perfect follow-up to the butts of the Bible that we just got done with. Jesus told us, hey, if you've got a problem, go be reconciled with your brother, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, pray for your enemies. We did all that, and we know the new way that God wants us to live. But, but what that didn't do is to help us to deal with the emotion behind it. So what we're trying to do is to help you to deal with the emotion behind it. I absolutely love that Casey overheard a couple people talking out in the coffee area after one of the services a couple of weeks ago. And evidently they were talking about the praying for your enemy sermon. And the one guy turned to the other and said, I've been trying to pray for that blank hole, but I just can't do it. I don't know who you are, but I love you. I love this church. Okay. I think it's that kind of honesty that God is actually looking for. Maybe with a different descriptive noun, but I think that that is what God is looking for. He wants, you know what, God, I know you said to love this person, but they're a jerk and I can't do it. I'd rather you kill them. I'd rather you pay them back. That's what I want. That's what this guy is doing. It's the honest psalm. It's the honest place in his heart. He owns his anger. I'm mad. I'm going to own it. Second thing he does is he, he prays his anger. He prays it, okay? Paul says, in your anger, don't sin. And then he goes on and he says, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you heard that verse before? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you thought, I'm going to have to move to Alaska? (laughs) You know, where the sun doesn't go down for like three months because I'm really ticked off. Okay, why does he say that? Why does he say, don't let the sun go down on your anger? Because your anger, in your anger, you're going to sin if you allow it to stay in your life. If you don't get rid of it, if you don't do something with it, you're going you're gonna to sin. So you need to get rid of it before the sun goes down. The only way that you're going to get rid of your anger is if you have some place to take it. So you pray your anger. 
This guy's not stuffing it. He's not acting on it. He is praying it. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't let his hatred keep him from God. He processes his anger and he takes his feelings and he opens them up and all of their reality. And he does everything he can to go to God and say, look, God, I'm just ticked off. That's the way it is. I'm unhappy. Because how can the presence of God change your heart if you don't take it to the presence of God? So don't let your anger drive you away from God. Let it drive you to God. That's what I'm saying. Then God can change your heart. God doesn't always answer our prayers like we want. God didn't answer Tim Tebow's prayers like he wanted, did he? He prayed for Denver to win a Super Bowl. Dear Jesus, please help me win a Super Bowl. What are you doing here? Jesus called, Peyton says. (laughs) That is funny right there. I don't care what you say. The truth is the Vegas odds on Denver winning a Super Bowl went from 30 to 1 to 5 to 1 as soon as they hired Peyton Manning. It's not funny for Tebow, though, is it? Not funny because all of a sudden, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, these things that I'm praying, they're not coming true. They're not the way that we want them to happen. So we have to do three things. We have to own our prayer, our, own our anger. We have to pray our anger. And then we have to surrender our anger. Where do I get that from here? Well, notice what the guy didn't pray. He said, Lord, remember the Edomites. Remember the Babylonians. Remember what they did to us. What is he saying? He's not saying, God, please give me the strength. I want to be Rambo. I want to go retaliate. I want to do these things. He's saying, Lord, you take care of it. What he's really asking for is simple justice. Remember, this is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth time. This is Lex Talionis time back here. This was a normal thing. He's just praying. He's not praying, Lord, I want you to do more to them. I want you to do the same thing. I want justice to happen. When he says, remember them, Lord, he's saying, what, what he's saying is, I want a call to action, okay? Remember in the, in the Hebrew context is not, oh, you know, recollection. It's not like when, when God says, I will remember my covenant with Abraham, it's not like he was going, oh man, 500 years, I forgot about Abraham. I should have set my iPhone. No, he's saying, I'm going to do something. I'm going to call into action. So when he says, remember the Edomites, remember the Babylonians, he's saying, I want you to do this to them. But you do it. You act on it. Not me. I'm not going to act on it. I'm going to surrender it to you. Because ultimately, God is the judge. And God is the only person. What this guy has done is he has... I know this is a horrible song. But what he has done is he's owned his anger. He's prayed it. And he has surrendered it. I'm giving it to you. To the one person in the universe that has the right and the ability... To bring justice to the world. That's what he does. We talked a couple weeks ago about <clears throat> what Paul said um, in Romans about the whole turning the other cheek thing and praying for your enemies and all that stuff. And he's, Paul said, I want you to feed your enemy if they're hungry, because in such a way you'll be heaping coals of fire on their head, which meant it was an act of contrition. What he was saying is if you're good to your, to your enemies, you might actually help them to understand that they're wrong. But then he goes on and he says, but even if they don't, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So you give it back to the God of justice. You own it, you pray it, surrender it. And if you don't get honest with God, you're never going to get rid of your anger because you're never going to have any place to take it. And Paul goes on after the 
you know, you're going to have to move to Alaska verse and says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Then he gives us the reason why. The reason why is because you'll give the devil a foothold. This is why this is so important that you're honest. If you're just trying to stuff it, you're just trying to stuff your anger, you're going to give the devil a foothold. If you vent your anger all the time and act out on your anger, you're going to give the devil a foothold. But if you will give your anger over to God, then you won't give the, give the devil a foothold. Isn't that an interesting scripture? Because usually when we talk about the devil, we're talking about temptation, you know, and all oh, the devil made me do it. Now, this is Paul's saying, look, you're saying, hey, Beelzebub, come on in. When you don't deal with your anger. This isn't spiritual warfare. This is just us being dumb. So we have to own it, and we pray it, and we surrender it. Our prayer should be, I love this song we sang just a minute ago, give me the grace to see beyond this moment here, to believe that there is nothing left to fear, and that you alone are high above it all, for you, my God, are greater still. And no sky contains, no doubt restrains all you are, the greatness of our God. So what we're going to do right now is we're going we're gonna to do it. Um, I'm going to show you a testimony from Rich, a guy who gave his anger over to God, and then we're going to have a real time of reflection song, great jars of clay song, just a time for you to reflect. And we're going to do something we've never done before. Um, we're going to stand at the end of that. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and pray over us because she's a great prayer warrior, and I want, you to, I, I want you to have somebody else involved in this process. And I'm going to ask you all to stand, and if you've got anger issues that you need to surrender to God today and you want to get rid of them and you want to give them over to him so that the sun cannot go down on your anger, I'm going to ask you to come forward. We'll just fill up the area right up here and we'll have a mass prayer right here before communion, before any of this. If you've got something that you want prayer for, we'll have you come forward at the end of that time. So first we'll watch a video, we'll have a song, and then I'll get back up. And I'll, and I'll ask everybody to stand. And if you want to have a specific, and we'll give you time if you're in the balcony. I know you've got to come a long way around down here. We'll give you time. If you want prayer, you'll be able to come up at that time. Let's listen. I've dealt with anger my entire life from a very young age. I used to be mad about everything. I had a lot of bad things happen to me in my life when I was a child. I always blamed God for not being there to protect me. When I was 14 years old, I walked away from God, the church, Jesus, and anything that had to do with religion. I was raised in church. I served in the church. I was an altar boy. And at the age of 14, that was it. I finally had enough and was ready to go on my own. My life started to spiral out of control. I thought my music was going to help me deal with my anger issues. Things became worse. My drug abuse became worse. It became so bad to the point that I ended up pointing off all my equipment just so I can buy more drugs to keep myself sedated to help me with this anger issue that I had. Nothing that I tried was relieving any of the anger. And the more angry I became, the more defiance towards God I had. First marriage, total disaster. The only thing that came good out of that were my daughters who were my stepdaughters. Their father had walked out on them. I saw an opportunity to be a father to these two daughters. I quit doing the drugs. I kicked the cocaine addiction. I got out of what I was doing for work at that time. I went into trucking school, driving a truck. Things were going good. Boom, boom, boom. I was getting my life back in order, and then bam. I was injured in a trucking accident. I had a job. As I took it through the legal channels, they did everything they could in their power over an 18-year period to manipulate the court system to basically keep me from getting any kind of a settlement. Well, then I met my wife, Norma. 
finally then my life starts getting back on track with her and then the cancer then all of a sudden it's like what are you doing to me now for the first time in my life I have something good I mean spiritually good for a woman in my life and you're gonna there's a possibility you're gonna take her away from me now so that just kicked my anger up even more with God if a conversation ever came up about God I'd be the first to raise my hand to tell you that you were wrong to believe in him that you needed to believe in yourself that he would do nothing for you that he didn't answer prayers my wife has suffered from cancer twice over the last four years she's been coming to Parkview since April of last year over time I watched how my wife was being tended to how my wife was being ministered to by everybody in the church and by Pastor Tim and by all her friends and over that couple times of coming with her my heart finally slowly started to open enough to see the light that God wanted to shine upon me and it wasn't actually until the day that I was baptized and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior is when I was able to hand my, all my anger over to God. Having Jesus as my Lord and Savior and just trying to live my life as He does, when somebody does wrong me, I think twice now before I fly off the handle and want to be the type of person that's like, you wronged me and now it's my turn to wrong you or I'm going to carry this. And if I feel that the anger may be a little too much for me, then I will actually start to pray and ask him to help me walk me through this. Because without his guidance, a lot of times I'm not going to make it. Some, I actually feel I, I'll snap out or something like that. So if I don't have God first, I'll react first. If I have God first, then I'll respond. For 35 years of being angry with God and being away from him, I didn't think this would ever happen. I seriously didn't because, as I've learned, I was always taught it was about rules, not about relationships. Since I've come to Parkview, it's all about relationships. All right, this is it. Stand up with me. And if, you, uh, if you'd if you like to have prayer, just come on down right now. Denise is going to pray over you. I'm going to read a scripture, give you time to come down. Come on down from the balcony if you want to. Fill up the whole front area down here. We just want you to come on up and be prayed for. You, we'll pray for you wherever you are. But if you've got something that you really want to surrender over to Jesus today, I want to encourage you to make a step and show something about it. Make, make, make a decision and make something happen. Come on up here. Fill up. You can fill up the middle area here too. Come on over and be here. And we'll wait for you in the balcony. I, I want to finish out Psalm 13. Because Psalm 137 just ended. Come on over here, you guys. Uh, I, Psalm 30, 137 just ended. It was just kind of like, I'm mad, that's it. There's, there's no resolution. Here's what Psalm 13 did. He said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And then he goes on and he says, But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for I know he has been good to me. That's what faith is. It's just at some point saying, Okay, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm getting a message getting a busy signal, but I know that you're looking out for me. I know that everything is going to be okay. I know that you are the God who loves me, and I will trust in your unfailing love. We're going to pray over you right now. Keep coming if you want to. Fill up the area up here if you want to. We're going to pray for all of you. My wife, Denise, is going to lead us. I brought Rich up because I just thought it would be kind of nice to have the guy who just talked to us to be in our presence and be here to pray over you as well. All right? Let's do it. God, I know a lot of these people are really hurting and very angry and many justif 
justifiably so. They have been uh, wronged by somebody else. And I, I think they're truly tired of just carrying this anger because it's, it's, it's really only hurting them. So, Father, I thank you for being such a loving and compassionate God and letting us be honest with you and bring these these issues to you that we're so angry about. Thank you that you are a high priest that can sympathize and empathize with us because you've been through it. We just thank you for your love. God, I pray for healing for each person here today. I pray that they would sense your presence and your spirit and they they would just feel your loving arms wrap around them. Just hold them close and heal them, God, of this anger. Be with them. We ask all this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. You can go back to your seats. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity. We pray that the sun will be able to go down today and you will find a place of healing. Now, your question for me is going to be, okay, is that it? No, that's not it. Because remember, that was Old Testament. This is the Old Covenant. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, There's something else. This psalm is just the honest part. What I want you to understand is how to take this a step further in your life. Next weekend is Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, really honestly, from a theological standpoint, a lot of you grew up, and I did too, where the kids would get, (coughs) excuse me, palm branches and they'd wave them and we'd all celebrate Palm Sunday together. But you know what Jesus was doing when everybody was waving their palm branches and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? What was Jesus doing? Crying. Weeping. Weeping over Jerusalem. He was weeping over Jerusalem, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the day is coming. If you only knew the peace that is out there for you, but you can't. You can't see it. And Jerusalem, I'm crying. As you're cheering me on, saying, yay, the new king, Jesus was crying for them, saying, I see what's going to happen in your future. There's going to come a day when your enemy will come and dash you and your little ones to the ground, and not one stone will be left on top of the other. What was he doing? He's the Son of God. He was predicting what was going to happen to Jerusalem. And it did. Forty years later, Titus rolled into Jerusalem, desecrated the temple, knocked the whole Jerusalem down, hasn't been rebuilt the right way since, and he completely decimated everybody that was in there and killed their children. That's what they did. That's what he did. Jesus is talking. Think about this. He's talking to the people that are getting ready to do very bad things to him. And he knows it. And instead of praying the payback psalm and saying, ha ha, suckers, you're going to kill me now, but you're going to get yours. They're going to come back and kill you later. Instead, he's weeping in advance. He is forgiving these people and he's weeping over what's going to happen to them because he's Jesus. How do you explain this change? You say, well, wait a minute, Tim, there has to be justice. Somebody needs to pay. They killed my children. They did this. They did that. Somebody has to pay. And Jesus came along and said, yes, I know I'm going to pay. And God came along and said, hey, you know what? 
They took my innocent son out of my arms and they brutally killed him too. But because he was God, he paid for all of those sins. So now two things can happen. Number one, you can turn over your anger to Jesus and any grievances that you have against somebody else, you can realize that he paid for those and justice has been done. And number two, you can realize the thing that's different between us and the psalm writer is that we have the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of us. If we have Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. Jesus said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you and He's going to comfort you and He's going to teach you and He's going to instruct you and He's going to help you to be who you need to be. As we get ready for communion, I just wanted to point out that the payback psalm is just a place to start. It's just the honest to God part. But you do have the power to forgive. You do have the power to let the sun go down and not have any anger in your life. And it's not based on you and what you can do. It's based on the power of God. When I thought this whole thing through about, you know, this is really kind of a Holocaust survivor's story, this psalm was, and I was thinking of Anne Frank, then I remembered Corey Tinboom. Many of you have read The Hiding Place, a book written by Corey Tinboom, who was a Holocaust survivor. Her family was killed in a Nazi concentration camp and she was able to get out and she was one of the few that survived and she went around all of Europe speaking and came over to the United States speaking on forgiveness and how it's possible for God's forgiveness to be involved in our lives and as she was going through Europe recently saved from the concentration camp that she was in she was speaking at a place and all of a sudden she said she looked up one day you can read this story in her book she looked up one day and there in the audience was one of the ss nazi guards that had been one of her captors he would have been the person that her payback psalm would have been directed at and she saw him and she hoped he wasn't going to come up and talk to her but of course after the service was over he came up to her and said it is amazing grace, isn't it, Fraulein, that God would be able to look down on me and forgive me? And he stuck out his hand to shake her hand. Corey Timboom said, I had a decision to make in that moment. Did I really believe this stuff? Was it really time for me to let the sun go down on my anger? Was it really okay for me to let this go? And I said, God, help me to forgive this man. And she said, nothing happened. I couldn't move my arm. And then she said it was awkward for a minute. But then I prayed, God, give me your forgiveness for this man. And she said she could instantly feel a surge of power going through her head, through her shoulder, through her arm, as her arm almost lifted itself. And she took his hand in hers. And she said, the minute I took his hand, I had eyes of God, of God's love, of God's forgiveness for this person instantly. Why? Because we have the forgiving power of Jesus Christ living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit. Not with your power, not with your love, with His. And she said, when God tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. As we take communion right now, we're going to celebrate justice. And we have to celebrate justice for my sins at the same time we celebrate justice for those who make us angry. And 
Owning it and praying it and surrendering it is wonderful. But Jesus called us to a new way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Even if you're mad at God today. Take it to Him. Be honest. And let's spend a moment in communion and remember how much He really loves us and trust in His unfailing love. Let's pray. Lord, if there are people in here who don't have you yet or they don't know you uh, in this way, I hope that they know there's not some magic words they need to say or some hoops they have to jump through to become your follower. They just literally have to open up their hearts and say, Jesus, I, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. Lord, I, I, I want to pray for all of us that have done that already, that, we, that you will not let the sun go down on our anger, that you will help us as we deal with the anger that's in our life, that we'll be honest with you and not try to fake it anymore, but we'll bring it to you, surrender it to you, and then ask for your spirit to flow through us so that we can be the people that you've asked us to be. Because it's not about what you want from us. It's about what you want for us. I pray that you'll help us as we commune with you right now. Jesus, we thank you that you paid the penalty for all sin. And we ask for your grace and your forgiveness to be on us and all of those that we know. In Jesus' name we pray.